chapters thirty three and thirty four of the pawn's count by e phillips oppenheim this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by tom weiss chapter thirty three philip downing very soon justified the profession to which he belonged by strolling off with some excuse about paying his respects to some acquaintances pamela and lutchester immediately dropped the somewhat frivolous tone of their conversation you know that things are moving with our friend fisher she began i gathered so lutchester assented his scheme is growing into shape she went on you know what wonderful people his friends are for organizing well they are going to start a society all through the states and nominate for its president uncle theodore will they have any show at all lutchester asked curiously she shrugged her shoulders who can tell the german americans are very powerful indeed all through the west and then the pacifists will join them you see i believe that although the soul of the country is with the allies england is the most tactless country of the world she is always giving little pinpricks to the government over here either about maritime law or one thing or another then all those articles in the papers about america being too proud to fight the sneering tone of some even of the leading reviews did a lot of harm uncle theodore is going to stand for what they call the true neutrality that is to say no munitions no help for either side well i don't know anything about american politics lutchester confessed but i shouldn't think he'd have an earthly chance money is immensely powerful she went on reflectively and many of the great money interests of the country are controlled by german americans mr fisher has almost thrown me over politically but uncle theodore is crazy about the idea of a german pledge to protect america against japan that is going to be the great argument which he will keep up his sleeve until after the nomination fisher's trump card lutchester observed he hasn't shown you a certain autograph letter yet i suppose she shook her head he may have shown it to uncle theodore i'm afraid he doesn't mean to approach me again he seems to have completely changed his attitude towards me since the night he saw us at the ritz carlton dining together he was going to show me the letter the first day after his arrival in washington instead of that he has been in the house for hours at a time without making the slightest attempt to see me faithless fellow lutchester murmured nothing like an englishman after all for absolute fidelity do you really think so pamela inquired anxiously do you think i should be safe in trusting my heart and future to an englishman to one particular englishman yes was the firm reply i was rather hoping you might have made up your mind too many things to think about she laughed how long are you going to stay in washington a few hours or days or weeks until i have finished the work that brought me here and what exactly is that you ask me lightly he replied but if you are willing I have decided to take you into my confidence. Our friend Nikasti will be here tomorrow. He was to have sailed for Japan yesterday, but he has postponed his voyage for a few days. Do you know much about the Japanese, Miss Pamela? Very little, she acknowledged. Well, I will tell you one thing. They are not very good at forgiving. There was only one way I could deal with Nikasti in New York, and it was a brutal way. I have seen him twice since. He won't look me in the eyes. I know what that means. He hates me. In a sense, I don't believe he would allow that to interfere in any way with his mission. In another sense, it would. The Allies, above all things, have need of Japan. We want Japan and America to be friends. 
we don't want Germany butting in between the two. Baron Young is a very clever man, but he is even more impenetrable than his countrymen generally are. Our people here admit that they find it difficult to progress with him very far. They believe that secretly he is in sympathy with Nikasti's reports. But you don't know about those, I suppose. I don't think I do, she admitted. Nikasti was sent to England some years ago to report upon us as a country. Japan at that time was meditating an alliance with one of the great European powers. Obviously it must be Germany or England. Nikasti traveled all through England, studied our social life, measured our weaknesses, did the same through Germany, returned to Japan, and gave his vote in favor of Germany. I have even seen a copy of his report. He laid great stress upon the absolute devotion to the sport of our young men and the entire absence of any patriotic sentiment or any means of national defense. Well, as you know, for various reasons, his counsels were overridden, and Japan chose the British alliance. That was entirely the fault of imperfect German diplomacy. At a time like this, though, I cannot help thinking that some elements of his former distrust still remained in Nikasti's mind and I have an idea that Baron Young is, to a certain extent, a sympathizer. I've got to get at the bottom of this before I leave the States. If I need your help, will you give it to me? If I can, she promised. They saw Mrs. Hastings' figure on the terrace waving, and Pamela rose reluctantly to her feet. I don't suppose, Lutchester continued as they strolled across the lawn, that you have very much influence with your uncle or that he would listen very much to anything that you have to say. But if he is really in earnest about this thing, he is going to play a terribly dangerous game. As things are at present, he has a very pleasant and responsible position as the supporter and friend of very able men. With regard to this movement, he may find the whole ground crumbled away beneath his feet. Fisher is playing the game of a madman. It isn't only political defeat that might come to him, but disgrace even dishonor. "'You frighten me,' Pamela confessed gravely. Lutchester sighed. "'Your uncle,' he went on, "'is one of those thoroughly conceited, egotistical men who will probably listen to no one. You see, I have found out a little about him already. But they tell me that her social position means a great deal to your aunt. Neither her birth nor her friends could save her if Fisher dragged your uncle to his chariot wheels.' "'Do you think, perhaps, that you underestimate Mr. Fisher's position over here?' she asked thoughtfully. "'I don't think I do,' he replied. "'But here is something which you have scarcely appreciated. Fisher has had the effrontery to link himself up with a little crowd of Germans all through the States who are making organized attempts to destroy the factories where ammunitions are being made for the Allies. That sort of thing, you know, will bring any one, however distantly connected with it, to Sing Sing.' One moment, he added quickly, as Mrs. Hastings stepped forward to meet them. The reception at the British Embassy tonight? The others are going, she said. My aunt didn't feel she was sufficiently— We sent you a card round especially this afternoon, Lutchester interrupted. You'll come? How nice of you! Of course I will, she promised. End of chapter 33 Chapter 34 Small affair, this, Downing observed, as he piloted Lutchester through the stately reception rooms of the embassy. You see, we are all living a sort of touchy life here, nowadays. We try to be civil to any of the German or Austrian lot when we meet, but of course they don't come to our functions. 
and every now and then some of those plaguy neutrals get the needle, and they don't come, so we never know quite where we are. Guadapolis has been avoiding us lately, and I hear he was seen out at the Lakewood Country Club with Count Reska, the Romanian minister, a few days ago. Gave the chief quite a little flurry, that did. There's an idea over in London, Lutchester remarked, that a good deal of the war is being shaped in Washington nowadays. That is the chief's notion, Downing assented. I know he's pining to talk to you, so we'll go and do the dutiful. Lutchester was welcomed as an old friend by both the ambassador and his wife. The former drew him to a divan from which he could watch the entrance to the rooms, and sat by his side. "'I am glad they sent you out, Lutchester,' he said earnestly. "'If ever a country needed watching by a man with intelligence and experience, this one does today. "'Do you happen to know that fellow Oscar Fisher?' Lutchester asked. "'I do, and I consider him one of the most dangerous people in the States for us,' the ambassador declared. "'He has a great following, huge wealth and although he is not a man of culture, he doesn't go about his job in that bull-headed way that most of them do. He's trying things on with Japan, Lutchester observed. I think I shall manage to checkmate him there all right. But there's another scheme afloat that I don't follow so closely. You know Senator Hastings, I suppose? The ambassador nodded. Senator Theodore Hastings, he repeated thoughtfully. Yes, he's rather a dark horse. He is supposed to be the President's bosom friend but I hear whispers that he'd give his soul for a nomination, adopt any cause, or fight anyone's battle. "'That's my own idea of him,' Lutchester replied. "'And I think you will find him in the field with a pretty definite platform before long.' "'You think he's mixed up with Fisher?' the ambassador inquired. "'I'm sure he is,' Lutchester assented. "'Not only that, but they have something up their sleeve. I think I can guess what it is, but I'm not sure. How have things seemed to you here lately?' "'To tell you the truth, I haven't liked the look of them,' the ambassador confided. "'There's something afoot, and I can't be sure what it is. Look at the crowd tonight. Of course all the Americans are here. But the diplomatic attendance has never been so thin. The Romanian minister and his wife, the Italian, the Spanish, and his Swedish representatives are all absent. I have just heard, too, that Baron von Schwerin is giving a dinner-party.' Lutchester looked thoughtfully at the little stream of people. The ambassador left him for a few moments to welcome some late comers. He returned presently and resumed his seat by Lutchester's side. Of course, he continued, lowering his voice, all formal communications between us and the enemy embassies have ceased, but it has come to be an understood thing to avoid embarrassments to our mutual friends that we do not hold functions on the same day. I heard that von Schwerin was giving this dinner party, so I sent round this morning to inquire. The reply was that it was entirely a private one. One of our youngsters brought us in a list of the guests a short time ago. I see Hastings is one of them, and Fisher, and Romania and Greece will be represented. Now Hastings was to have been there, and as a rule the neutrals are very punctilious. I suppose that way the naval affair was represented didn't do us any good, Lutchester observed. It did us harm without a doubt, was the lugubrious admission. Still, unfortunately, these people over here are clever enough to understand our idiosyncrasies. I honestly think we'd rather whine about a defeat than glory in a victory. Diplomatically, too, Lutchester remarked thoughtfully, I should have said that things seemed all right here. The President comes in for a great deal of abuse in some countries. Personally, I think he has been wonderful. The Ambassador nodded. 
"'You and I both know, Lutchester,' he said, "'that the last thing we want is to find America dragged into this war. Such a happening would be nothing more nor less than a catastrophe in itself, to say nothing of the internal dissensions here. On the other hand, as things are now, Washington is becoming a perfect arena for diplomatic chicanery, and I have just an instinct, I can't define it in any way, which leads me to believe that some fresh trouble has started within the last twenty-four hours. Lady Ridlingshaw motioned to her husband with her fan, and he rose at once to his feet. "'I must leave you to look after yourself for a time, Lutchester,' he concluded. "'You'll find plenty of people here you know. Don't go until you've seen me again.' Lutchester wandered off in search of Pamela. He found her with Mrs. Hastings, surrounded by a little crowd of acquaintances. Pamela waved her fan, and they made way for him. "'Mr. Lutchester, I have been looking everywhere for you,' she exclaimed. "'What a secretive person you are! Why couldn't you tell me that Lady Ridlingshaw was your cousin? I want you to take me to her, please. I met her sister out in Nice.' She laid her fingers upon his arm, and they passed out of the little circle. "'All bluff, of course,' she murmured. "'Find the quietest place you can. I want to talk to you.' They wandered out onto a balcony where some of the younger people were taking ices. She leaned over the wooden rail. "'Listen,' she said. "'I adore this atmosphere, and I am perfectly certain there is something going on. Something exciting, I mean. You know that Baron von Schwerin has a dinner-party?' "'I know that,' he assented. "'Uncle Theodore is going with Mr. Fisher. He was invited at the last moment.' and I understand that his presence was specially requested. Lutchester stood for a short time in an absorbed and somber silence. In the deep blue twilight his face seemed to have fallen into sterner lines. Without a doubt he was disturbed. Pamela looked at him anxiously. "'Is anything the matter?' she asked. He shook his head. "'Nothing definite. Only for the last few hours I have felt that things here are reaching a crisis.' There is something going on around us, something which seems to fill Fisher and his friends with confidence, something which I don't quite understand, and which it is my business to understand. That is really what is worrying me. She nodded sympathetically, and glanced around for a moment. "'Let me tell you something,' she whispered. "'This evening my uncle came into my room, just before dinner. There was a little safe built in the wall for jewelry. He begged for the loan of it. His library safe, he said, was out of order. I couldn't see what he put in, but when he closed the door he stood looking at it for a moment curiously. I made some jesting remark about its being a treasure chest, but he answered me serious. "'You are going to sleep tonight, Pamela,' he said, within a few yards of a dozen or so of written words which will change the world's history. Lutchester was listening intently. There was a prolonged pause. "'Well,' he asked at last, she glanced at the little Yale key which hung from her bracelet. "'Nothing. I was just wondering how I should be able to sleep through the night without opening the safe.' "'But surely your uncle didn't give you the key?' She shook her head. "'I don't suppose he knows I have such a thing,' she replied. "'He is a master key himself to all the safes which he used. This is the one the housekeeper gave me as soon as I arrived.' Lutchester looked out into the darkness. "'Tell me,' he inquired. "'Is that your house, the next one to this?' "'That's the old Hastings house,' she assented. "'They are all family mansions along here.' "'It looks like an easy place to burgle,' he remarked. She laughed quietly. "'I should think it would be,' she admitted. "'There are any quantity of downstair windows. We don't have burglaries in Washington, though. 
certainly not this side of the city. A little bevy of young people had found their way into the gardens. Lutchester waited until they had passed out of earshot before he spoke again. I have reason to believe, he continued, that in the course of their negotiations Fisher has deposited with your uncle a certain autographed letter, of which we have already spoken, making definite proposals to America if she will change her attitude on the neutrality question. The written words, Pamela murmured. Lutchester's hand suddenly closed upon her wrist. She was surprised to find his fingers so cold, yet marvelously tenacious. You are going to lose that key, and I am going to find it, he said quietly. I am sorry, but you must. I am going to do nothing of the sort, Pamela objected. His fingers remained like a cold vice upon her wrist. She made no effort to draw it away. Listen, he said, do you believe that the Hastings-come-Fisher party is going to be the best thing that could happen for America? I certainly do not, she admitted. Then do as I beg. Let me take that key from your bracelet. You shall have no other responsibility. And what are you going to do with it? You must leave that to me, he answered. I will tell you as much as I can. I stopped Nikasti sailing for Japan, but I made a mortal enemy of him at the same time. He has come to Washington to consult with his ambassador. They are together tonight. It is my mission to convince them of Germany's duplicity. I see. And you think that these written words? Give the key to me, he begged, and ask no questions. She shook her head. I should object most strongly to nocturnal disturbers of my slumbers. It seemed to her that his frame had become tenser, his tone harder. The grip of his fingers was still upon her wrist. Even your objection, he said, might not relieve you of the possibility of their advent. Don't be silly, she answered, and above all don't try to threaten me. If you want my help, she looked steadfastly across at the looming outline of the Hastings house. I do want your help, he assured her. How long should you require the letter for? One hour, he replied. She led him down some steps onto the smooth lawns which encircled the house. They passed in and out of some gigantic shrubs until at last they came to a paling. She felt along it for a few yards. There is a gate there, she told him. Can you do anything with it? It was fastened by an old lock. He lifted it off its hinges, and they both passed through. Keep behind the shrubs as much as you can, she whispered. There is a way into the house from the veranda here. They reached at last the shadow of the building. She paused. Wait here for me, she continued. I would rather enter the house without being seen, if I can. But it doesn't really matter. I can make some excuse for coming back. Don't move from where you are. She glided away from him and disappeared. Lutchester waited, standing well back in the shadow of the shrubs. From the embassy came all the time the sound of music, occasionally even the murmur of voices. From the dark house in front of him, nothing. Suddenly he heard what seemed to be the opening of a window, and then saw footsteps. Pamela appeared round the corner of the building, a white spectral figure against that background of deep blue darkness. She came on tiptoe, running down the steps, and holding her skirts with both hands. "'Not a soul has seen me,' she whispered. "'Take this quickly.' She thrust an envelope into his hands, and something hard with it. "'That's Uncle Theodore's seal,' she explained. "'He sealed up the envelope when he put it in there. Now come back quickly to the embassy. You must please hurry with what you want to do. If I have left when you return, you must come back to exactly this place.' 
That window, she pointed upwards, will be wide open. You must throw a pine cone or a pebble through it. I shall be waiting. I understand, he assured her. They retraced their steps. Once more they drew near to the embassy. The night had grown warmer and more windows had been opened. They reached the veranda. She touched his hand for a moment. Well, she said, I don't know whether I've been wise or not. Try and be back in less than an hour, if you can. I am going in alone. She left him, and Lutchester, after a few brief words with the ambassador, hurried away to his task. In twenty minutes he stood before a tall, rainstone building, a few blocks away, was admitted by a Japanese butler, and conducted, after some hesitation, into a large room at the back of the house. An elderly man, dressed for the evening, with the lapel of his coat covered with orders, was awaiting him. "'I am a stranger to you, Baron,' Lutchester began. "'That does not matter,' was the grave reply. Ten minutes ago I had an urgent telephone call from our mutual friend. His Excellency told me that he was sending a special messenger, and begged me to give you a few minutes. I have left a conference of some importance, and I am here.' "'A few minutes will be enough,' Lutchester promised. "'I am engaged by the English government upon Secret Service work. I came to America following a man named Fisher. You have heard of him?' "'I have heard of him,' the ambassador acknowledged. "'In New York,' Lutchester continued, "'he met one of your countrymen, Prince Nikosti, a man, I may add,' Lutchester went on, "'for whom I have the highest respect and esteem, although quite openly years ago he pronounced himself unfavorably disposed towards my country.' The object of Fisher's meeting with Prince Nikosti was to convey to him certain definite proposals on behalf of the German government. They wish for a rapprochement with your country. They offer certain terms, confirmation of which Fisher brought with him in an autograph letter. There was a moment's silence. Not a word came from the man who seemed to have learnt the gift of sitting with absolute immovability. Even his eyes did not blink. He sat and waited. The proposals made to you are plausible and deserving of consideration, Lutchester proceeded. Do not think that there exists in my mind, or would exist in the mind of any Englishman knowing of them, any feeling of resentment that these proposals should have been received by you for consideration. Nothing in this world counts to those who follow the arts of diplomacy, save the simple welfare of the people whom he represents. It is therefore the duty of every patriot to examine carefully all proposals made to him likely to militate to the advantage of his own people. You have a letter offering you certain terms to withdraw from your present alliances. Here is a letter from the same source, in the same handwriting, written to America. Break the seal yourself. It was brought to this country by Fisher, in the same dispatch box as yours, to be handed to some responsible person in the American government. It was handed to Senator Theodore Hastings. It is to form part of his platform on the day when his nomination as president is announced. It must be back in his safe within three-quarters of an hour. Break the seal and read it. The Japanese held out his hand, broke the seal of the envelope, and read. His face remained immovable. When he had finished he looked up at his visitor. "'I am permitted to take a copy?' he asked. "'Certainly.' He touched a bell, spoke down a mouthpiece, and with almost necromantic swiftness two young men were in the room. A camera was dragged out, a little flash of light shot up to the ceiling, and the attachés vanished as quickly as they had come. 
The ambassador replaced the document in its envelope, handed a stick of sealing-wax and a candle to Lutchester, who leaned over and resealed the envelope. "'The negative?' he inquired. "'Will be kept under lock and key,' the ambassador promised. "'It will pass into the archives of Japanese history. In future we shall know.' Once more he touched a bell. The door was opened. Lutchester found himself escorted into the street. He was back at the embassy in time to meet a little stream of departing guests. Lady Ridlingshaw patted him on the shoulder with her fan. "'Deserter!' she exclaimed reproachfully. "'Wherever have you been hiding?' Lutchester made some light reply and passed on. He made his way out into the gardens. The darkness now was a little more somber, and he had to grope his way to the palings. Soon he stood before the dark outline of the adjoining house. In the window towards which he was making his way a single candle in a silver candlestick was burning. He paused underneath and listened. Then he took a pine-cone which he had picked up on his way and threw it through the open window. The candle was withdrawn. A shadowy form leaned out. "'I'm quite alone,' she assured him softly. "'Can you throw it in?' He nodded. "'I think so.' His first effort was successful. The seal followed, wrapped up in his handkerchief. A moment or two later he saw Pamela's face at the window. "'Good night,' she whispered. "'Quickly, please. There is still someone about downstairs.' The light was extinguished. Lutchester made his way cautiously back, replaced the gate upon its hinges, and reached the shelter of the embassy, denuded now of guests. He found Downing in the smoking-room. "'Can I get a whisky and soda?' Lutchester asked in response to the latter's vociferous greeting. "'Call it a highball,' was the prompt reply, "'and you could have as many as you like. "'Have you earned it?' he added, a little curiously. "'I almost believe that I have,' Lutchester assented. End of chapter 34 Recording by Tom Weiss, Tom's Audiobooks.com